1: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box.
2: NYC,
3: this is CNBC Control 2.
0: CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All
3: right, we're coming to it next.
0: Here's what we're squawking about today. Peloton takes off, but have the wheels come off the IPO rush?
4: The big deal this tells you is that Wall Street and the retail investors are not going to
2: fund growth at all costs.
0: No more billionaires? Is the wealth tax worth it? If we could do some good, that doesn't sound that bad. And DraftKings is ready for some fantasy football. We've got CEO Jason Robbins.
5: I love that we have turned your show into a discussion on which college football bets are the best this week.
0: Those stories and a lot more. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Friday, September 27th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand back, you by in three, two, one, you
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC.
4: We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew's out today, but guess what? Our guest host today is Fast Money trader Joe Terranova. He's Senior Managing Director at Virtus Investment Partners, and he is here with us for three hours, and we're thrilled to have I, you,
2: Joe. I, I feel the look already from Joe. He well, you're halftime report, you go, aren't you? Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Half-time. He's a halftime report. I, he's not a Fast no, Money I'm, I'm. uh
4: did I just say that? Yeah,
2: yeah, you did. Oh, which <laughs> Scott Walker, I fell just, into
4: the I fell which, into the trap. Which I of like,
2: usually thank you, right? I, no, right, I yeah. fell into the you trap of that. It's right. my fault. Um, <laughs> this sorry. is not my fault this time, I, Scott. No, this is for not, once it's
4: not. For once it's not. But we are thrilled to have you here.
2: CNBC's learned uh, the trade talks between the U.S. and China are set to resume October 10th in Washington, D.C. Sources say Vice President Premier uh, Liu will. Uh, Represent the delegation uh, from Beijing. We've had lower-level things happen, right? But yep. this is the the next big event, and it's the backdrop. I mean, I, I, it's amazing, though. I mean, Trump keeps just plugging away. President Trump keeps there are so many plugging away. There are UN. so many
1: business news headlines that I think portfolio managers and the investment community are losing sight. We're coming up on the end of the quarter. Mm-hmm. It's time to reflect on the quarter itself one in which performance was was kind of uneven, if you look at the various index, uh, dollar rallied. But I, I, most of the conversations that I'm having right now with portfolios and investment managers, it centers on the fourth quarter of last year. And every, everyone's reflecting upon it and thinking to themselves. Thinking there's a repeat possibility? Well, you, it's, it's almost you lose a football game. You, basically, you go into the fourth quarter of a football game with a 20-7 to 7 lead, and you end up losing 27 to 20 in the fourth quarter. And, and your, your thought process becomes, I think, very defensive looking into the fourth quarter because you don't want to have that happen again. You, had, you walked into October of 2018 with the S&P higher. December of 2018, you left that quarter with the SP lower. So I think there's a defensive mentality that's going to be built into this quarter. You've been reflecting, I see. Which but, is uh, the big nice. five so banks, on your
2: life, on your career, on your. Reflecting is always good, Joe. Is it? It's, it's,
1: it, there's, it's purposeful. Introspection.
2: Purposeful it's per- reflection. Listen is, to you. What are you always good. Do you say namaste after this? Listen, five o'clock
1: in the morning, I'm standing in the middle of Times Square. That's, you say, that's your pictorial saying cup of om, coffee.
2: Saying, oh, and you, you're not noticing anything around you because you're doing TM or something, right? I noticed you the back minute ago. I walked in. You did? Yeah. Well, you I noticed you too. That's <laughs> weird, isn't it? Yeah. We better move We've on. got that thing. Yeah.
4: Oh boy.
0: Peloton, the exercise equipment and streaming company, ended its first day on the market yesterday 11% lower than it started. That makes it the second worst debut for a unicorn this year. A unicorn is a private company worth a billion dollars or more. The worst first day in 2019 IPO title goes to Smile Direct Club a few weeks back, in case you're wondering. Anyway, Peloton and Smile Direct Club are only part of this sad IPO story. Heading into today's market open, almost half of 2019's new public offerings were trading below their initial offering price. Becky and both Joes break down what's happening behind the headlines.
4: Lyft down by 42 percent, Uber down by 30 percent, Slack down 13 percent. You've got Peloton, The Real Real, and Avatar, all of them uh, down since their debuts. And then Endeavor Group, that holdings company, pulling its IPO, which was expected to price last night. The company cited weak market conditions and says that it's going to reevaluate the timing for the offering as things develop. Endeavor is the talent agency run by Ari Emanuel that also owns the Miss Universe pageant and the UFC. This is the second time Endeavor has hit the brakes on its IPO this year.
2: And the window closed quickly, did it not? I mean, it's
4: IPOs, Yeah, what do you think about this? Like...
1: Well, I, th- I think at this point where we are valuation-wise in the markets, you have to show some growth. And I think a lot of these companies, certainly in the case of Uber, I think there was a maturity factor. I think they came to the public market a little bit too late. Um, certainly, you can make the argument that the private markets are making all the money and then handing off to the public market. In the case of Peloton yesterday, I, I just can't see the excitement sound- surrounding this. It's a fitness ac- uh, equipment company, and it is about fitness equipment. Eighty percent of the Not a tech revenue. company, not
4: a media it's company. It's not a tech either. company,
1: it's not a media company. When 80 percent of the revenue is coming from the treadmill or the stationary bike uh, and that's just the reality of it
4: look i think the big deal this tells you is that wall street and the retail investors are not going to fund growth at all costs. it's no longer going to be a story of look we just have to get bigger and bigger and bigger and control the world which was what all of these guys were trying to do uber all the rest of them the idea was if you can get big and if you can get win market share then eventually it will come back to you and that profit will work they all point to amazon as the reason for that but the losses that all of these companies are talking about are far beyond what amazon Amazon was ever talking about when it was going to the public markets.
2: Well, this and, this and, next and, and story didn't help. Up. This one, and this is, didn't even come, but uh, more drama at WeWork. Yeah. I mean, this is a big part of what's happening. Too. I think, a lot of companies are now being painted with the same brush, right? With uh, well, yeah, not I, WeWork, I, I, but I, I the IPO. WeWork yeah. is the
4: one that, that, that right. everybody thought, holy cow, right. we got to look at this. Uber is to the same extent. Uh, you it know. would
2: be a tough time to, no matter who you are, I think, at this point. Anyway, so far this week, the company's IPO is postponed. Uh, co-founder Adam Newman stepped down as CEO. Now, the Wall Street Journal is reporting the company's new leaders are pushing out staff members uh, that are close to him. Eventually, the new co-CEOs are expected to cut thousands of positions from its staff of more than 12,000, also try to sell businesses that aren't part of its main leasing operation.
4: So is what happened with Peloton just bad timing? Is there something deeper going on here? Was it just Peloton specific? Joining us right now is Rhett Wallace. He's CEO at Triton Research. Megan Morris is senior financial reporter for Business Insider, and welcome to both of you. It's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, Rhett, let me ask you first, what was your rating on this company heading into the IPO, just in terms of what you thought about the prospectus and the deal itself?
6: Sure. The prospectus rated very highly. The disclosure was terrific. They gave us really good statistics, unlike we work Uber, and Lyft, on what their churn rates were, what customer acquisition costs looked like. So what it did is it framed up the debate for... You know, is this company going to sell five million bikes or is it going to sell two and a half, three million bikes? And that seems to be where the argument was about valuation. Overall, it scored pretty well, 6.9. And I think, you know, putting aside the price chart yesterday, which is an ugly price chart, and you hate to see that, this company is worth $11 billion. So it's worth twice as much as GoPro and Fitbit were which were both growing faster and were profitable what on happened? the bottom line. they just off?
4: get greedy? They, ran at, they priced it at the high end of the price range. Um, and the CEO, when he joined us on air yesterday, said he thought they left a little on the table.
6: I mean, who knows? Maybe they could have done it higher, right? I mean, the range was 26 to 29. They priced it at 29. The market said, no, 26. Right. <laughs> right? So the whole debate happened inside the range. How much is Hangover from
2: WeWork, where people just think 47 billion, now it's, it's a third of that, It. it the window for IPOs seemed to close this week did it not and and even if you're
6: a company that deserves a higher price, you're not going to get it, and you might as well not do it right now, right? Sure. Well, I think, you know, we saw with Endeavor, right, the difference between Peloton and Endeavor is Peloton got done at the high end of the range, raised $1.2 billion and is worth $11 We work in Endeavor said, we'll do this later, you know, or not at all. So the window, I think, is going to be more influenced by the inventory. Like, you know, since Lyft, what we've seen is like nine really traditional software companies go public, you know, Datadog, Ping Identity, just the most recent ones, doing great. Mm-hmm. But the Misfit Toys, you know, the Ubers, Lyfts, the Fibers, having more trouble. And it seems like the market sort of confined Peloton to the Misfit Toys a little bit yesterday.
4: Megan, how much of this is, you know, there are a lot of companies that are out there that are bringing in a lot of revenue but losing a lot of money. And maybe the street just doesn't have patience for that right now.
7: Absolutely. We're certainly seeing that with WeWork. But I would disagree. I don't think that WeWork is spooking investors on Peloton here. Um, mm-hmm. I stopped by Peloton's Roadshow last week and spoke to over two dozen investors. And almost all of them said that WeWork wasn't influencing how they were thinking about Peloton's path to profitability. Uh, They seemed relatively bullish on the company overall, though a number said that they are just not buying IPOs this year. Some of the major wealth managers are not looking to take chunks of these IPOs, given how poorly most of them have performed. So
4: then it almost is. It may not be WeWork specific, but it is the effect of all of these other situations out there. And again, if you, don't have, if you don't have earnings right now to show, if, you, if you're going to say, we're going to get to growth or we're going to get to profitability, but it's going to be three, four, five years down the road or longer, good luck selling that. <laughs> and Peloton's
7: not doing itself any favors with certain governance structures like its dual-class share structure. That's hurting uh, the number of investors who might buy in, given that some of the investors just don't buy into the dual-class share structure right now, seeing how it's affected other companies and the ability of leadership to really move companies forward.
2: So wh- how does this work itself out and we come out the other side, Brett? Right, right. well, well, so cl- does
6: anyone decide to do anything now? or? or- well, I think the next data dog, the next Cloudflare, would be fine, right? But the question is inventory. What we've been saying here for the last couple of months is everyone talks about the stampede of unicorns, but there really aren't that many. You know, we've seen WeWork now. We know we're not getting Airbnb. We know we're not getting Palantir. Right, So the, the bench isn't that deep for companies to come at this point. And it seems like with all the weirdness going on in the market, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see much for the rest of this year. You're
2: going to do a story again where I'm totally immune.
4: <laughs> because I, you are a Luddite.
2: Yes. <laughs> I've never Yay done a DoorDash. Any, although, can you get Taco Bell delivered yeah, to your probably.
4: house? I, I don't know. I've never tried that. but
2: With DoorDash?
4: You can get McDonald's and all I, kinds you see, of See,
2: this, this might be something I need to... Well, you well, can Chipotle, that's for sure. DoorDash uh, no says
4: thanks. that it has had a data breach and that information from nearly 5 million of its customers and restaurants were exposed. That breach happened back in May. Information exposed includes the last four digits of credit card and bank account numbers and driver's license numbers of about 100,000 of its delivery workers. They're the ones who are really at the, in, in the worst position of all of this, to have that kind of sensitive information that's being kept and then have it released uh, by the company that's employing them. That.
2: Yeah. Happens again and again, doesn't it? I'm glad I'm uh, like I'm insulated. I think we've
1: all just made the assumption as consumers that our information is just going to be out there.
4: Yeah, but the oh, question is, of. is there ever a bill to pay on this? Is there ever a time where, okay, we think it's just out there, it's there, but uh, there's got to be a point where this come back comes back to bite us.
1: Individually, there are certain circumstances where it does. Yeah. Um, I think it becomes a bigger story if it's some capacity it's collective in its nature. But I think Right now, the effect is just indiv- uh, on the individual.
4: Individuals getting their identities stolen, um, bank accounts cleaned out. I mean,
2: I trade a lot of privacy. I would wow. trade a lot of privacy for uh, Google Maps, but that's just that's just me. I mean, that has changed so many things. When are you going to be there? Uh, Ten forty-one. Uh, uh, what time are you going right. to be home, Dad? Eleven uh, Would you
4: trade your right to privacy? Might be eleven but I if doubt. If you it. ever exceeded the speed speed limit and they tracked you, that they could automatically send a ticket to your house.
2: I've already said that I don't like those things.
4: Well, that's the uh, right sure of privacy. I mean, hot. that's that was like to the insurance extent. company
2: that's going to monitor your driving habits right. and adjust your premiums to. You
4: can get a three percent discount if you're a really good driver.
2: I, I, eventually, the
1: world will go where if you're texting, your insurance company will know. Right. That's that. that and, and by hard, the way, right. all of
4: those moves from the insurance companies are just the way to kind of get the camel's nose under the tent because eventually the issue is going to be you're going to pay more if you don't give us this.
2: And Japan Airlines launching a feature for travelers who dread getting stuck next to a baby during <laughs> uh, a long flight. I Andrew. immediately thought of him when I saw this yesterday. The airline will now offer a baby map for travelers to use when booking a flight. We'll place a child icon Next to the seats of passengers traveling uh, with babies between eight days and two years old, there are a few caveats. The map uh, won't be available if there's a last minute change in aircraft or if you book your flight through a third party. So you can't guarantee it uh, either way. This wasn't, Andrewsing wasn't really that, that there would be babies on the flight. It, it would be, if Just you in pay, first if you pay for first class <laughs> next to him, that you shouldn't, it, once you pay for first class, you should be guaranteed to. But don't can't you have uh, sound reducing?
4: Look, it's life.
2: Are right. you kidding me? Babies needed. Well,
4: can sure. I can I book? Can I make sure I book next to no annoying people? Like,
2: like... right, or, or, or co-anchor next to, to no annoying people.
1: You can't. It, it makes you a better person. You're either going to help the baby, or you, that right. baby's going to smile at you some point, make you feel good.
4: Nobody gets on a plane and doesn't do everything possible to try and keep their children happy so that they don't bother anybody else. I mean, sure. it's the hardest thing in the world to fly with a baby because all you do is try and make sure that they stay happy so everybody around you stays happy. Yeah,
1: I, I just don't want to be sitting next to someone who crosses over the line. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the that's,
4: spreaders, a man spreader.
2: No, that's, 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 that's I, I have a better thing, Becky. You would love this. Someone who recently flew cl- close to me, um, the baby was changed on the trade table. <laughs> they were changing the baby on the tray table. They got done and had the diaper and, and offered it to the flight attendant if he or she would take it. And oh, that's they said, bad. said no. That,
4: well, they're not allowed to. It's, it's so you know where it went? Into the barf bag? or Into, into the, the seat bag. Oh, are you serious?
2: I'm, I'm dead serious that this, this is a true story.
4: Okay, so well, I'm going to stop
2: well, there, putting half-eaten candy bars <laughs> that I then resume in, the, in that... Well, uh, i
4: always said that. I've seen people stick their bare feet into
2: those no, things, No, Supposedly they're well, worse than... You should than be nipple. required to keep your shoes on yes. on an airplane.
4: Look, there's all kinds of bad behavior that takes place on airplanes, and, but, and people should have respect for the other people around them. That's disgusting.
2: They're dirtier uh, than a rest stop bathroom.
4: Well, nobody's ever washed those things. No. Ever. Have you ever seen them come through and, like, say, let's take down all the tray tables and wash them all? How
2: did we get here? Because we tar- babies, uh, that's, the, that's the downside for babies, so to Joe, speak. Joe, I could see you complaining you know they if you're do sitting that. in first class and someone uses the first class restroom. Oh, that's, that doesn't, that doesn't happen if I'm in first class. That no, happen. that does not. No. Get back there. They've got a lot of nerve. <laughs> yeah. But I can go back there if that one's fine. Oh, be oh, yeah. <laughs> quiet. I, I, you know. Someday Andrew might take me up into the front of the, of the plane. I'll see what it's like.
1: next.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, Democratic presidential hopefuls on the campaign trail targeting America's wealthy.
8: Billionaires should not exist.
0: Perfect. Breaking down the tax plans from Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. After this... Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan.
2: Whose tax plan will hit the wealthy harder? Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? Uh, Robert Frank joins us now uh, with a look at both and what it could mean for the nation's wealthiest. My favorite thing is we never argue about whose tax plan will help lift up the people we're trying to help, because that's never really part of the issue. We just want to make sure we lower those. Yeah, when Warren announced
8: her plan, she said what it would pay for. Bernie was very explicit. His first announcement was billionaires should not exist. So Warren would tax wealth over 50 million, Sanders wants to tax wealth over 32. So that adds about 100,000 more households that he would hit. Now, Warren taxes billionaires at 2%, billionaires at 3%. Sanders has a much more complicated sliding scale with five different uh brackets that goes to 8% at the top. That is more than four times higher the highest wealth tax that they ever had in Europe. Now, Jeff Bezos, under the current plan, would pay $9 billion in wealth taxes this year, and Sanders promised that his plan would cut in half the fortunes of billionaires within 15 years. And to make sure wealthy couples don't avoid the tax by divorcing, he will have the threshold for single taxpayers,
2: half of that for couples awesome. and households.
4: Because you talked about the marriage penalty. Exactly.
8: Before. So it was interesting they included it this time in, in his tax.
2: But it, bur- What's Bernie's net worth? 315? What's it? No, I'm kidding. He doesn't. He's got a few houses, but he doesn't have he doesn't have that, that kind of money. I'm kidding, though. But uh, for more on the rival tax plans between the Democratic candidates, let's bring in our guests. Joining us now, Heritage Foundation's uh, Joel Griffith and Brookings Institution's uh, Vanessa Williamson. Vanessa, I, I guess I'll start with you. Uh, Bernie says no more billionaires. Is that really something that that, that it just seems un-American to to cap what in terms of private property and the, the way we've sort of done things for hundreds of years is is that a a worthy goal to try and cap the amount of uh, money someone can actually accrue over a lifetime
9: well, I think a lot of people would agree that uh, 1% of Americans having 40% of the wealth is maybe a little out of keeping with our own history, so maybe it's un-American as well. I mean, the fact is that we've changed rules about property ownership all the time. We abolished slavery, we made marijuana legal, so there are okay. lots so, of different so ways so okay to change to do that? property laws. I think that's right. I, it's so not just okay, I think it's a good there idea. There should be an
2: upper limit on, on, on what, how much someone is worth.
9: I mean, I think that that's what needs to happen when you have an economic system as distorted as ours, a political system is distorted as distorted as ours. How would it work
2: in, in practice for someone that s- starts a really successful company? Would the, the government just, uh, you know, when you get to a billion, I mean, we see guys that have IPOs that are immediately worth $3, 4000000 You see Mark Zuckerberg, what a success. He's in his 30s worth, worth that. How would you make sure that they stay under a billion? Would you just take it, Vanessa? Just confiscate <laughs> No, really. Would you I just mean, the, the you just it?
9: The technicalities. I mean, all taxes are confiscatory. Yeah, that's true of sales taxes on on groceries in right. Alabama. That's true. of Every kind of tax, right? Okay. So you the, would do that then. But I think that what we're talking about is the first 32 million dollars, even in the more aggressive Sanders plan, or the first 50 million under Warren. That's not going anywhere. That's not even uh, the no, subject. No, yeah, but
2: you're not answering me. So, so do you just take anything over a billion? Does the government get it? Anything over a billion dollars? No, that? I.
9: The, the tax plan is that at, at $32 no, this, million, dollars,
2: okay, never mind. Uh, you I, get the I, 1%. You're not going to answer me. All right. Uh, so, Joel, does, does it, how does this sound to you for, for our system, uh, the, the American way?
3: Well, I can actually an- answer your question because under this plan, the IRS would actually seize 8% of the wealth of the wealthiest each and every year. And that would be under penalty of law. The IRS has their own armed agents, and if you refuse to comply, you will spend Jill, time in Joe, that won't go prison. far enough
2: for Bernie, because we want no more billionaires. How do you get to where we have no more billionaires? How do you actually do that in practice? I mean, if well, he's going to talk the talk, how do we actually do that? I want to do that. How are we going to do it? You make well, sure when they you, leave the country. That's, <laughs> <what they do. laughs> yeah, that's a good way to do it. Who needs them anyway?
3: Well, I, I think what's also really fascinating with this is the amount of money that it raises between 2.6 and four point three. $3 trillion over 10 years, the fact is, even if this unconstitutional tax were to be imposed, and it is unconstitutional, even if it were to be imposed, this would just pay for a fraction of the 40 to $90 trillion in additional spending over 10 years that they proposed. The dirty little secret is even if they were able to impose this unconstitutional tax, even if they were able to confiscate every dollar of income, for those earning more than $200,000 per year, it leaves a gaping hole. And the only way to fill that gaping hole is to raise taxes on everybody else, similar to what we see in Europe, where they have in some countries an excess of a 50% payroll tax. That's the dirty secret that they don't want to discuss. Well, if
2: we could do some good, that doesn't sound that bad, Joel. If we, if we could definitely make sure... I mean, we can raise taxes on everyone if that's what we need to do. Uh, and do you the, have a the, good idea what to do with the money, Vanessa,
9: in the I, past that hasn't been so great the way we, we seem to? I mean, the fact is that the payroll tax, Bernie Sanders has talked about it. It's far from a secret. It's quite clear in his plans. More importantly, the payroll tax is the most popular American tax but for most voters. So I don't think there's any reason to shy away from talking about payroll taxes to pay for something as popular as Medicare. But more importantly, I think that the, the, the broader question here is about this unconstitutionality, and I want to make sure that we clarify that in 1796 it was determined that we in the federal government can in fact tax property and the clause that people who want to argue it's unconstitutional use was put in place by slaveholders to try and prevent abolition by taxation so it's not precisely the legal argument that I would want to hang my hat on.
8: uh, one of the arguments we've always heard from the left is that well the wealthy are avoiding taxes now suddenly that they have a wealth tax the left is saying the wealthy won't avoid this tax how do you think you're going to somehow enforce a tax that Europe has largely abandoned because the wealthy spend a lot of their money on great accountants and great lawyers to get around these things?
9: Look, I think a technical, the technical challenges are very real, and I'm not going to pretend that they're not. But you know, many laws are difficult to enforce. That doesn't mean we don't have them, right? So if we think that this is a good idea, if we think that it's important to reduce wealth inequality, then this is probably a great route to get there.
1: We, okay. All right. I, I, go. I, I just don't understand how logically you run a general election campaign and raise funds from people that you're telling you're going to we're tax. Gonna, so we're going right. to save we, this for next time. Right.
4: Folks, thanks for joining us. Let's go. Move it or lose it.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, kicking off with cash, the DraftKings CEO bets big on his partnership with the NFL.
5: I meet hedge fund people managing billions of dollars and they're stressing out over a
7: $15 bet.
2: Stand by, Joe, in five seconds.
0: This is Squawk Pod from CNBC.
2: One is Mike Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Andrew's off, but in studio uh, with us this morning is CNBC contributor Joe Terranova, senior, yeah, senior managing director uh, uh, at Virtus, uh, Investment Partners. Is there only one or, or one of the senior investment uh, partners? There's, I'm one of them. You're one of the senior, Okay. Are they Hopefully one of the more important ones. Are there freshmen, sophomore, and junior uh, <laughs> they're, <investment>? called <laughs> they're called interns. they're called interns.
0: DraftKings is a fantasy sports gambling site with more than 11 million players around the world. They just announced a new exclusive partnership with the NFL, making the site the first official daily fantasy sports partner of the league. The NFL had previously kept its distance from the daily fantasy space. What? There's gambling in Casablanca? <laughs> but that changes this football season. DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins joined Squawk Box this morning to discuss the big business of sports betting.
2: Do I need to recuse myself from this or I need to, in the interest of disclosure? I love college uh, football. I, I ask you, can I just bet on uh, the point spread? And you said yes, so I do that and I'm pretty damn good. Tell us about this, um, this partnership and, and describe it exactly what it means for you uh, with the NFL. A lot of sponsorships that the NFL does, beer,
5: you know, other things, it doesn't directly relate to their game the way that fantasy sports does. And so they were very thoughtful about this. And so much of the discussion really centered around how do we engage fans, how do we innovate on your product, and less about just the pure dollars and cents. And I think that's the most exciting thing about the partnership is that both parties are really focused on how we can improve the customer experience and the product.
2: Why I still don't do the fantasy stuff, and, and I, I don't understand these numbers. Like, 66% increase in fantasies in the NFL. Well, who are these people? What, it, the, not even that different from uh, Major League Baseball, 49%. Who's doing this? And you've got to be an uber fan, don't you, to, to know what's to, to do fantasy or, or not? Not
5: really. I mean, there's tens of millions of people in the U.S. doing this. It's a very social activity. People like to talk about it and play with their friends. DraftKings actually has private games you could set up and just play against your friends. And last night, for example, on Thursday, we have contests where you can just play the Thursday night game. And I think that we've made the game so that it can appeal to both the serious fan and also a very casual fan as well.
1: Jason, it's Joe. So connecting with the fans, talk to me about the sophistication of your customer and the desire for them to absorb content before actually wagering are they viewing uh, or listening to podcasts, or are they trying to understand and gain knowledge before they're actually making that wager, or are they just
5: wagering? Uh, you know, there's a mix of different approaches. Some people like to do a lot of research. Certainly, uh, the desire for that type of content is increased if you're playing fantasy sports. But there's a lot of people who also go off instinct to watch the games and use their observations in order to make picks. And, there's a wide variety of approaches, and there's no single answer. We see a lot of different types of approaches winning, so uh, really, it comes down to what you're trying to get out of the game, how uh, you know you feel comfortable making your picks. A lot of people like talking about them with friends, so um, really, there's a lot of different approaches. but at the end, what we're trying to do is create a fun experience, so as long as you're enjoying it, we don't mind so what are your your three favorite days of the year Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would probably uh, get a very different answer. You would get a very different answer if you asked my tech team, but opening day of football is my favorite. Uh, That's probably the most stressful day of the year for my technology team, but I love it. It's such an exciting moment. Super Bowl is obviously a great day. And then my favorite third one, it's going to be an odd pick, is the Masters. I absolutely love the Masters. And it's a nice return to sort of mainstream after the Super Bowl and the NFL has ended, baseball is just starting, and kind of a little bit of a, a dead period in february but is, that a, big, is that a big is that a big betting period
4: i mean i think joe was asking because oh, yeah. he wants to know what the biggest oh, yeah. your biggest days are
5: well in terms of participation the masters is right up there outside of nfl is one yeah. of the biggest days but uh certainly every nfl sunday is is as big as it
2: gets i'm not so crit. you know sundays it's a, right it's definitely a crapshoot um there's so much parity. It's so hard, isn't it, on any, any given Sunday? I, I guess it's different for fantasy, but just trying to beat the spreads is hard. And I haven't figured out quite yet how, whether I take the team that gets all the points or whether I take the team that's really good. Because I'm always in this, I've mentioned <laughs> college, this before. College is much easier. College is much better. But I hate being in the position where, I'm, where I've, I've got 24 points and I'm watching the worst effing team in the world, and they're losing by 40 points. It's like, why did I... And I'm watching, and it's like, oh, my God, why am I... Why do I have New Mexico against... Uh, <laughs> not won. that they're the worst. They actually won the next week, but the don't game where I Rutgers bet it. Here. Uh, okay. Don't Don't do it. We,
1: we can't go there? Yeah, don't. Can, can't You're go getting 27 and a half I, against Michigan. What is it? And it's probably Rutgers. Just
2: Rutgers. Oh, I love that. 27 I, see, I, would, and see a half. I want to take Rutgers, but this will be the same thing, Jason. I'll be watching Rutgers. Yeah. Like, I, I
5: love, up. by the way, that we have... Turned your show into a discussion on which college for, uh, football bets are the best this week. That—that that is a great You know a what else is cool? I mean,
2: I, I spend twenty dollars, you know, on some things, and I don't even think about it. On this, my life like passes before my <laughs> eyes. If there's an interception, like at the end, it's like I, I thought I was going to win, and I don't. It's like. The world doesn't oh, I for mean, 20 I meet mean hedge fund people. So much, it, it makes everything so much more enjoyable when you've just got hardly anything even on these things. You know what? I'm going to start doubling I meet bets, hedge fund think, people uh,
5: managing billions of dollars right. of uh, in their portfolios, and they're stressing out over a $15 bet. It's exactly,
1: amazing. Jason, that's the sophistication component of it. They want the content. Maybe we'll do a halftime fantasy show. Your whole halftime thing is betting on stocks, isn't it? Sort of. Okay, so we'll follow it up. We'll, right. The Halftime Report Fantasy Show. That's
2: not a bad idea, Jason. I love it. Not a bad idea. NFL's one partner. You should do it. Yeah. All right. See you later. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Is this still a vice? I mean, am I supposed to feel bad about this? Probably.
0: That's today's podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. You are a Luddite. Yes.
2: (laughs) I've never done it.
0: To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. We don't care where you get your podcasts. We just want you to listen to Squawk Pod.
7: We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.